everyone. Um, if you've got one of these church Bibles, the reading today will be on page 1509, and it will be Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 12. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give to dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn, and in turn tear you to pieces. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven good, give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Thank you, Sam. Well, welcome, everyone. It's great to see you. My name's Chris, if you don't know me. Ours is an age of tolerance, supposedly, although it's becoming more and more intolerant. To judge or not to judge? That's now the question, isn't it? Uh, you take the things as that should be foundational, simple, basic, accepted in our society. Things as basic as gender or marriage, right? And you'll have noticed that on those topics, judgment and judgmentalism are now the order of the day. What on earth has happened? Non-Christians are now feeling judged by Christians, whether or not Christians are in fact judging them, just your very existence, people feel judged. Christians find themselves being judged by a judgmental and hostile crowd. Yesterday I spoke to a Christian lawyer who cited example after example of this in Australia, someone losing their public service job because they respectfully disagreed over the issue of same-sex marriage in their workplace. Suddenly they're sacked from the public service. Goodness gracious, how could that ever happen? A public school teacher in Queensland forced to change schools because they did something as audaciously outrageous with a student as pray with them when they were upset. Um, they were sued not by that student nor by that student's parents, but by someone totally separate who just saw what was happening and took offence. Unbelievable. Um, forced, they still kept their job but had to change school. They are just examples, but in our own lives there are thousands of examples um, of issues where, of judging and judgmentalism, which we come across in our high schools, universities, workplaces, neighbourhoods. This is the environment we're in. The heat we feel is being fuelled by a loss of respect for God and the Bible and the church because of the terrible blight on our country of um, sexual abuse uh, within churches. 
and the Royal Commission, and which is a good commission that happened, but it's uncovered stuff and God has lost credibility. The biblical view of marriage, the biblical view of gender, the fact that the Bible speaks so clearly on this just adds fan to the flame. Non-Christians feeling judged by Christians, Christians being judged by non-Christians. And yet in all of that, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Do you believe it? We well, should, because Jesus said it. He said, you are the light of the world. You're the light of the world in Australia now at this time. You really are. You're the light of the world, so let your light shine. Because our world, sinful, broken, hostile, is filled with people for whom Christ died, people who are loved by God, and a world which needs Jesus' disciples to tell them about God. And Jesus calls us to go out and meet them out in the world. How do we do it? Well, Jesus tells us how to do it in the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus' mission instructions for his disciples, where he teaches us how to join with him in the mission of fishing for people. In chapter 5, Jesus tells us how to live our lives before people in the horizontal dimension of, of human relationships um, in a way that's observably different to the watching world. In chapter 6, Jesus says how not to be a hypocrite when you do this, and we, we all have a need to cultivate our own personal relationship with God, our Heavenly Father, privately, unseen by others. And now in chapter 7, Jesus teaches his disciples how they are to relate outwardly to a needy world, to people who need the gospel. How do you make judgments about such people? So there's three parts in the Sermon on the Mount. First, we need to live differently before others. The end goal of this is relating to others as God himself relates, which is to love your enemies. And that's what God does. He loves his enemies. But to do that, secondly, we've got to cultivate the personal relationship with God and our heart for God. Um, you remember the illustration of the tree, just a tree, as a tree above ground is fruitful and healthy. It can only be so because underneath, out of sight, unseen by others, is a well-developed root system which, which nourishes that which is above and visible. So our prayer life with our Heavenly Father must nourish our outward relationships with others. And both of those are necessary for thirdly doing what we're doing in chapter 7, which is to relate outwardly to those who need the gospel. Chapter 7 is Jesus teaching us about how we as followers of Jesus are to relate to people who need Christ, whether they be fellow sinners or whether they be hostile opponents. And he says three things. He says, first of all, do not judge. Second, do not cast your pearls before swine. Third, do to others as you would have them do to you. Two negatives, one positive. Do not judge. Do not cast your pearls before swine. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Do not judge. Seriously? Really? Doesn't he know the environment we're in? Yes, he does. In fact, he's already spoken of it in chapter 5, verse 12. People will insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Sounds exactly like today, doesn't it? He says in that environment, do not judge. Really? Can't he, he can't mean to say that we're not to make any judgments at all. Does he? Can he? 
Well, that's right. Jesus doesn't mean that. In verse 6, he says, don't cast your pearls before swine. To do that kind of requires you making a judgment, doesn't it? But is Jesus seriously suggesting we label people in our heads as swine, as vicious pigs? How does that fit with the third thing Jesus says, the golden rule, to do to others as you would have them do to you? I would not want anyone to call me a vicious pig or think of me like that. He says, do not judge, do not cast your pearls before swine, do to others as you would have them do to you. Now, okay, how do, they sound unrelated, don't they? And when you're reading the passage, maybe you thought Jesus is just addressing different topics which have no connection, but they are related. If you look at verse 12, please everyone pop your eyeballs down on the Bible here now, back a bit, you'll be able to see it better. Uh, see from the first word in verse uh, 12... That word, so. That tells us there's a logic driving what Jesus has been saying because that word, so, tells us that verse 12 is a conclusion of that which comes before in verses 1 to 11. And that tells me that verses 1 to 11 hang together. And we note that, we note that when Jesus says, so in everything you do, he's saying that this covers everything about how we relate towards people who need the gospel. And that means that the golden rule is the summary that's to guide all our judgments of how we're to relate to others as Jesus' disciples. We're to do to others as we would have them do to us. And that's very, very different to our world, isn't it? Most people operate with the principle in life, do to others as they do to you. So, if someone's kind to you, then... The PC thing is to be kind to them back. But if someone's rude to you, well, you should give back as much as you've given, you've received, sorry, and if they throw stones at you, throw them back, right back in their face. What Jesus commands is not retribution. It's radical. He commands grace. Do to others as you would have them do to you. And if we ask, well, what does that look like? We need only go back to verses 9 to 11 because you, there you see the wonderful way in which God treats us. And what we're to do to others, the way that God treats us, is to be amazingly good to others because that's what God is to us, even though we don't deserve it. You see, Jesus says, you then, though you are evil, though you don't deserve it, your heavenly Father still loves to give you good gifts, doesn't he? So that's exactly what we're to be like to others. The principle is, just as our Heavenly Father continues to treat us with grace, though we don't deserve it, we're to relate to others with that same grace. Put it another way, we're to relate to others in the same way God relates to us. And of course, when we think about it, how does God relate to us? That we know the supreme grace that God shows us is through Christ, through His sacrificial death for us. None of us deserve this, and yet he gave this massive gift so that we can be in fellowship and have relationship with him, so that what was broken can be mended, so that we who are far apart can be brought near and be in relationship together. Between God and us is not condemnation, but Christ and the cross. And that makes all the difference. When we come to God, we don't come because we're morally superior. We don't come because we deserve it because we've earned the right for him to forgive us? No. In verse 11, Jesus calls us evil. 
The only way we can come to God, the only way God can come to us is because between us is God's massive grace to us in Christ and the cross. And that is how we are to come to others. We come to them as fellow sinners saved by grace, no grounds for superiority. We come not as ourselves but as Jesus' disciples. That is, we come with Christ to them Christ who loves them, Christ who died for them. So when you relate to a fellow sinner, when you relate to someone who's hostile, you come to them, between you and them is Christ and the cross. That's how you come to them. We must come to the world in the same way as the Father comes to us, with Christ and the cross in the middle. And with that same undeserving generosity of heart towards others that God has shown us in Christ. That's what it means to do to others as you would have them do to you. So now Jesus applies this firstly to fellow sinners who need the gospel and then to hostile opponents who need the gospel. Both of them, whether they're stuck in sin or whether they're hostile, they still need the gospel. First of all, relating to fellow sinners who need the gospel in verses 1 to 5. Jesus says, when you come to a fellow sinner who needs the gospel, do not judge. What's this saying? Well, it's not saying don't be discerning, make no judgments at all, far from it, because all through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has been teaching us how to be discerning. And neither it is, is it saying just turn a blind eye to sin and just sweep it all under the carpet. That's precisely what too many churches in Australia have done in the past on the whole matter of clergy sexual abuse, swept it under the carpet. And yet Jesus speaks of this of what we must do in relation to this in Matthew 18. You could look that up later. Um, on matters of sexual immorality within the church community, later on, we're told to judge those with inside the church, 1 Corinthians 5. On matters of um, uh, incorrect doctrine, uh, false teaching, we're told to deal with that in the pastoral epistles. There is a place for judgment within the church. But what Jesus is speaking against here is something different, and that is judgmentalism. What do I mean by that? That's that overly critical, fault-finding attitude which only aims to condemn what is wrong in someone else's life. That's that superior attitude which looks down your nose at someone else in an air of self-righteousness to kind of booster, bolster your own sense of worthiness. It's that tendency in all of us to prove to ourselves that we are better than others. Think of the non-Christian family member whose life is a mess. Think of the work colleague who's ignorant of God and just doesn't care about it. Think of your old high school friend who's gone into drugs and is divorced and heading down a bad path. Of them, Jesus says, don't be judgmental. Now, why not? Do not judge, here's the reason, or you too will be judged. Because in the same way you judge the others, you yourself will be judged by God. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So if we write people off because they don't come up to scratch, because they just fall too far short and then we reject them, then God's going to do it for us. If we look at people in ignorance and their brokenness and their sin and we condemn them and that's our pattern, so too will God condemn us. The stakes are high, aren't they? 
So this is not some minor word of Jesus. This is not him just giving us his personal preference as to how he'd like us to outwardly present as his disciples. He's saying that for us, this becomes a gospel issue. Why? Because it's a litmus test of the state of our heart, of whether we ourselves have been transformed by the gospel of grace or not. You see, right through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has been drawing a distinction between the true disciple and the false, the genuine article the pretender, the real deal, and the hypocrite. And it's not that the genuine disciple is perfect, far from it. In verse 11, he calls them evil. It's that the genuine disciple lives openly before God without pretending, so that when they do sin, and we will, there is a right mourning which goes over our sin. Not just... Sadness that we've maybe slipped from our own standards, but a mourning, which means you're grieving something you've done against God. Because you're in relationship with your father, you've realized you've sinned against him and it cuts you. And the true disciple, therefore, will mourn and then confess it and instead of whitewashing and pretending that it's just not an issue. In other words, the true disciple knows every day that they depend upon God's grace because that's the only way they can live, right? Do not judge or you will be judged. You see, what's the issue in condemning others? There are three. First of all, you're stepping into God's shoes. Only he is the judge. (laughs) If you're the the judge, you're sitting where you ought not to. I I once... um, worked in a university for a professor in psychology. This was years and years ago. And he used to go on three-month holidays. And I don't know what he did overseas, but conferences. Anyway. (laughs) Anyway, we never knew exactly when he was coming back. And, you know, I had my own little desk, and he had this lovely big office with this big desk. Better place to work. So I just... Nice chair could sit all day in this chair, do my work. And then one day he came in while I was sitting in his chair. It's a little awkward, I have to say. Because <laughs> I was in the middle of something and, and it had taken me all day to do it and I just needed one minute. And I knew I shouldn't be there, but there was the terminal, you know, like it didn't have a laptop in those days. So he stood behind me and said, Chris time to get out of my chair. (laughs) You don't sit in God's chair. Do not judge, right? Second, we are not looking in love towards other people if we're loving, if we're judging. The true disciple aims to help the other, to help them remove the sin in their life rather than condemn them for it. But judgmentalism just writes them off. Thirdly, in being judgmental, we ourselves have cast aside grace. We therefore have a a skewed and distorted view of ourselves. You know, if we stop seeing that we're a sinner who is only saved by God's grace, judgmentalism becomes very comforting because it enables you to think very highly of yourself. Judgmentalism enables you to justify yourself in your own righteousness, yet at the same time being completely blind to your own sin, your own brokenness, your own unworthiness. C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, he made the comment 
that more often than not, it's the very thing that we're quick to condemn in others that is the sin in our own life that we are blind to. You want to know what sin you're blind to in your own life? Name the sin you most easily condemn in other people and hold up a mirror. So to help us to see the ridiculousness of judgmentalism, Jesus is very funny. You know how humour kind of lowers your defences? He's very funny. He comically describes a scene which is reminiscent to me of John Cleese in Faulty Towers. You know, so here's someone who comes in, you know, with this huge plank sticking out of their eye. You can imagine it, can't you? And uh, says, oh, excuse me, do you mind if I just... I think you've got some just a little dot in your eye. Would you... I can see it clearly, but you can't. It's just hilarious, isn't it, when you think about it? And, you know, in case we're now sort of laughing and thinking, you know, laughing on the inside, and uh, thinking that... <laughs> We'd never do that ourselves and we'd never condemn others who do. Jesus jolts us to awareness when he says, hypocrite. You first take the plank out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck out of your brother's eye. Now the goal is that that person be helped, that that sin be removed. So he's not saying you can't take that speck out. But to do that requires, first of all, an awareness of your own sin, an awareness of our own tendency to be blind to the very sins in our own lives which we so see so easily in others. I have to say that this verse has been extremely challenging for me this week. Because if you thought in our culture, what job is there around where their job is to help people remove specks of sawdust from their own eye and it's mine? And it's interesting that in the context of Jesus speaking about not being judgmental, he's described the very pastoral activity of helping someone deal with their sin. And then I've been caused to reflect that is it possible that sometimes when I come to someone to help them deal with a sin, what's really happening is I'm being judgmental and it's being clothed in Christian nicety. First, take the plank out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Well, what enables you to see clearly? What enables you to help someone remove their sin? It's coming to people with Christ and the cross, isn't it? The cross helps us see that we are no better. We are sinners saved by grace alone. The cross gives us grace to help a fellow sinner. In fact, the cross is the message that helps a sinner remove their sin from their life. When your brother sins, don't condemn him within. Last point, how do we relate to those who are hostile opponents? When sharing the news, stop when there's booze. Like, not booze as in B-O-O-Z-E, but B-O-O-S. Sorry, it was kind of rhyming. The, the first one rhymed, the second one, you know. That's very kind of you to be gracious there. Um, <laughs> okay, verse 6, dealing with opposition calls for discernment. Don't give dogs what is sacred. Don't throw pearls to pigs. Now, the pearl, what is the pearl? The pearl is the most precious thing that a disciple has. What's the most precious thing you have? Isn't it the news of salvation? It's the gospel, isn't it? Okay. 
And when we come with the gospel, Jesus knows, not everyone's going to be receptive. Many people will be hardened to it. Some will be violent towards us, exactly like a ferocious dog or a wild pig whose only thought is how to attack you and tear you to bits. Now, knowing that Jesus doesn't say, say nothing at all to anyone, because his desire, chapter 5, verse 16, is that by living as his disciples, shining as disciples in the world, people would glorify, come to glorify their Father in heaven. That means coming to faith. So we have to speak, but what he does say is that when opposition is hostile, you move on to someone else, some other place. Jesus is saying, don't share the news of the kingdom with, un- with an unclean and a savage audience. Now, in chapter 10, Jesus amplifies this. He says to his disciples, if anyone won't welcome you or listen to your words, then shake the dust off your feet when you leave that home or town. Now, it's interesting, in the book of Acts, that actually happens, like literally, twice. Paul, one disciple who followed Jesus' advice this way, in Acts 13, when the Jews in Antioch uh, spoke abusively against Paul and his message and persecuted him and drove him away, Paul and Barnabas literally shook the dust off their feet in protest against them. Or in Acts 18, 18 at Corinth, the same thing again. Interestingly, on both occasions, it wasn't the Gentiles who were the pigs and the dogs, it was the Jews. Paul picks up his pearls, he shakes out his clothes in protests and he moves on. Now, this is not saying um, move on as soon as you hear someone saying, oh, I don't believe that. (laughs) People need persuading, don't they? It takes time. But if someone's increasingly aggressive and violent in their opposition against you, you move on. This may have happened in your life, you know, with someone who you've tried. Uh, Normally, it's it's close friends or it's people that you work with, people that you're going to have a long uh, relationship with over time. And it maybe has happened to you. I think of one fellow at uni. Uh, we were each other, in each other's bridal parties. We were very close. And um, after we were both married, he, he, I remember him erupting. Uh, in the, I'd invited him to something again. <laughs> and he said, look, you always do this. You know, haven't you learnt now that I just I don't want to hear about this anymore? And he just kind of let loose. And I thought, well, there you are. You've made yourself clear. I'm not going to give you a chance to harden your heart further. We won't talk about this, but you know where I stand. And so, if you want to talk about it, I'm here. I moved on. We might think, well, how is shaking your dust off your feet not being judgmental? Surely Paul was condemning his audience. Well, when we read what went on, it wasn't Paul who was playing the judge. They were. By their own response, they were judging themselves. Acts 13, 46. Since you reject the word of God and you don't consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we turn to the Gentiles. Acts 18, 6. Your blood be on your own heads. From now on, I'm going to the Gentiles. They judge themselves by rejecting the gospel. Application, when sharing the news, stop when there's booze. It doesn't mean being judgmental. It doesn't mean thinking them any worse sinners than ourselves because there but for the grace of God in our life go we. It means that for the time being, we will take that sacred pearl of the gospel and go somewhere else. And if we think the loving thing 
is to stick it out with them, going on speaking like I did with some of my friends, uh, we'd be wrong because it only gives them a further chance to harden their heart to the news that could bring them life. Do you then give up on such a person? No. Here's the point. We may not be able to change them. We've tried, but God can. That's why in this passage, in this chapter, verse 7 follows verse 6. Now, actually, it's true in every chapter of the Bible, verse 7 always follows verse 6. But (laughs) if you were to look at the content of verse 7 and verse 6, it's very interesting because verse 6 says, you know, um, don't cast your pearls before swine, don't give dogs what's sacred, and then verse 7, it's all about prayer. Ask and it will be given to you. So we do what Jesus says, we pray, we ask, we seek, we knock, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. And of course this is talking about a wider application than just this, but it's interesting that verse 7 follows verse 6. Paul, we know, even though the Jews hardened themselves against his message, Romans chapter 10 verse 1, brothers, I can tell you my, my heart's prayer for the Israelites is that they would be saved. He prays for them even though they've hardened themselves against him. And Jesus says or tells us to ask, seek, knock. And he's he's using an ongoing command, literally, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Why? Because only God can open the hardest heart and because he is the father who loves to give good gifts to to his children He's the one that can answer that prayer. So keep on praying for those who are hostile and indeed for all of our needs because your father is a loving father who loves to give good gifts to his children and that's something we know even though we are evil. In our current hostile environment, does this mean that we should say nothing on the issues that people judge us about? Should we say nothing on the issue of push for late-term abortion, which will become an election issue very soon? Should we say nothing about the push for voluntary euthanasia? Should we say nothing about this morass of confusion about gender fluidity? And Should we say nothing about um, attempts to legalise prostitution right across the board in South Australia? No, I don't think we should say nothing. They are different issues to gospel issues. We're not coming to people with the news of salvation. I think it's right to exert your civic right and responsibility and duty as a citizen to be able to write to your politician and say, I have, I have concern about this for these reasons. Uh, I'm a Christian. Every Christian is a member of our society and uh, we have good things to say. I think there's a right place to speak to our politicians and to write in and talk to them about these things. However, um, that's not coming to someone with the news of salvation. It's not sharing the gospel. It's not something that we can and should uh, be silent on. Okay. Should we be judgmental of other people? No. When your brother sins, don't condemn him within. Should we make no judgments at all? No. When sharing the news, stop when there's booze. Instead, what we should do is come to our Heavenly Father and pray for them. So in everything, Jesus says, do to others as you would have them do to you because this sums up the law and the prophets.
Father in heaven, we need so much wisdom to know how to relate to people who are far away from you or who are trending in that direction. And we confess that we have got it wrong at different points in our lives in the past. Father, help us to address that critical gospel issue in each of in our own lives of not being judgmental because you haven't been judgmental with us so please transform our hearts if this is the condition of our hearts towards others and help us to appreciate that we are saved only by your grace and we need it every day but give us wisdom to know how to relate to others and we pray that in everything we do, we would do to others as you do to us, because that's how we would like them to behave to us too. In Jesus' name, amen.